and welcome to the Dog Logical Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Rhodes. And I'm your host, Cassie Dixon. Join two dog nerds and our guests, giving you tips, tricks, and busting myths aimed at making sense of your dog's behavior. Today is part two of a barking. So in this episode, we're going to be addressing outside barking or backyard barking. I just want to give a little quick caveat to say that if your dog barks on leash, or if you have situations where your dog is uncomfortable with things while you take them on a walk. Largely, we label this as reactivity. So if you've ever heard the term reactivity, we're generally talking about a dog that has big feelings about the world around them and specifically more kind of on leash. So this only happens when the dog is restricted by being on a leash. We won't touch on that in this segment, but we will definitely have some episodes in the future that talk more in depth about reactivity and cover that type of barking. Thank you so much for that, Renee. I think that's perfect and kind of hits the nail right on the head. Um, We will definitely do an episode later on about what reactivity is and how that kind of happens. But I think talking about barking outdoors There's a lot of different things that we see with barking outdoors, but I think for the most part, one of the biggest ones is the like nuisance barking that we often get when our dogs are just aroused or excited, or, you know, they're chasing that squirrel that just ran down the fence line or whatever the case may be. And I think that's the kind of barking that we're going to focus on and chat a little bit about why that barking happens and what we can do to reduce the amount that it happens for our dogs and their feelings. Uh, is there any scenario you hear from most people when it comes to, I want to stop my dog from barking outside? Yeah, I think for me, it's often um, adjacent dogs that are barking and maybe your dog is responding or like you touched on, there's something in the yard, like a critter of some sort and your dog's trying to get to it and they maybe shimmied up a tree and your dog's like, yes, this is, <laughs> I can focus all my attention on this. I know for my dogs, it's birds. So like birds will land in our garden and we have a saying for like Nero that's like, get out my garden. We're like, he's like, no, you know, not, not in my space. So interesting enough, he doesn't do that inside the house, but he will definitely do that outside. Um, I think also like, you know, as things are getting a little bit warmer, people are starting to be out more in their yards and they're doing more things and they're tinkering away with like gardening. And if your dog, say your dog's young and they haven't heard that before, or even, you know, it's been a long winter and your dog is like really relaxed in their space now. And then they start hearing all these weird noises. I think sometimes that can be quite jarring to our dogs and that can elicit some barking in response to those kind of things. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And you know what? You're right, because there's often a thing that I notice and recognize, especially with some of my clients who have dogs that have fear issues. The changing of seasons has a big thing to do with a lot of the barking that can start to happen or even just the suppression of behaviors, because your dog is so used to the quiet that comes with winter, you know, the snow that, you know, well, in in my area anyways, I guess not everybody's going to be somewhere where they're going to get snow, but in Canada, we get lots of snow. <laughs> so that a lo- here, a lot of that, that snow muffles sound, it absorbs it. It kind of makes the world a lot quieter and calmer. And especially because a lot of people aren't out and about in the winter or they are, and they're just not, you know, doing a ton 
Um, so that changing of seasons, um, and it's perfect because you said it exactly right. My partner is currently outside gardening. That's what he's doing at the moment. So it absolutely does happen. And I know before we started uh, recording, I told you a little bit about our roommate's dog sitting there whining and barking because she just wants to be outside. So it definitely does come down to a few things like that. And I would say that one of my biggest ones is definitely um, squirrels for us because we have power lines that run adjacent to our yard and our yard is very deep. Um, but every single time I open that back door, the dogs bolt because they're ready to chase the squirrels and they run all the way to the backyard, barking their heads off, even though there's absolutely nothing there. It's in anticipation of the thing that might be there or whatever the case may be. So one of the things that I like to use to kind of reduce that is like obviously practicing some impulse control games and stuff like that around the door. But I know that you have a little bit of a secret weapon. Can you kind of go over what that is and what that looks like for you? And uh, it's more so for Nero that uses it, if I'm understanding correctly, or is it both oh, of them? It's both of them. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so interestingly enough, like Nero's always been the barker in the, in the yard or like for the mailman, but Lichen kind of took on, you know, that social learning cues. He took on barking probably about maybe about a year after he arrived with us. And so now it's both of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, what I have is my kind of secret weapon is a specific recall cue. So that's specific for the house and the yard. And we've trained it so well. So we've conditioned it really, really well with high value food that I can, if I hear them barking, I'd say nine times out of 10, um, depending on how quickly I catch it. But if they start to bark, say like one of the adjacent kind of neighboring yards has a dog who's barking, they might start to bark in responses. So it might arouse them a little bit. Um, I think it also depends on what those dogs are barking at and the intensity that those dogs are barking. But my little specific kind of trick is I use an inside cue. So what I do to condition that is just periodically. So I would say probably a few times during the week when I'm giving them those little tasty tidbits that I love giving them for free, I just happen to yell inside and then give them some food. So then we practice this in times where there's no barking, where they're just in the yard, chilling, maybe sniffing some stuff, doing, you know, digging or whatever. And I just yell inside and I come and wait for them to come inside. And then I give them something really, really super yummy. And so when it comes to that kind of more sporadic barking, I say inside and they come running. So usually what happens is if I'm on a consult, let's say with a, you know, a client virtually, I can't really do that. So one thing that I've noticed that's really neat is because we've done this so many times, they will bark a few times and then they'll come running in. So I don't even have to cue them sometimes now, which is really neat. <laughs> and I have some liver paste always on my desk. So if that happens and I'm still talking to my client, I can be like, here's your reward. So I don't even have to stop what I'm doing to reward them for coming in. So it is possible to train a specific recall cue in that specific context, in that specific situation, and have your dog, A, be responsive, and B, almost become a cue itself that if I'm barking, 
I can run in and get a yummy snack. And if it's really bad, I just shut the door so that they can't keep running out and, you know, precipitating that barking even more. So it's a combination of practicing that, conditioning it really, really well, having that reward for them when they do it, and then managing my environment if it's just too much for them, because sometimes it could be. Yeah, absolutely. And that honestly sounds phenomenal. I wish that uh, I could train that in some other things, not just dogs. <laughs> um, <laughs> as soon as you start to raise your voice, um, it would make things so much easier in my life. But yeah, I think that that's a phenomenal weapon to have like in your arsenal of like dog training tricks to get that pretty well conditioned response on at the point where they're doing it themselves. They're like, oh, right, 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 right. This means that I do that and I get rewarded for it. So it can kind of turn into a lot of different things. And I think that it makes a lot of sense in terms of like, that's something that you can condition over time. It's not something that's going to happen overnight or anything along those lines, but it allows you to not only grow with your dog, but meet their needs in that as well. Right. Like it's not just this ongoing battle of your dog starts barking and you open the door and you yell, you know, Hey, quiet, whatever it is. And then you shut the door again, they start barking and you do the same thing. It's actually conditioned that they learn to return into you rather than that vicious cycle of he barks, I bark, he barks, I bark. And I say, that's actually really cool. I really like that uh, kind of idea and to have uh, your high value reward already set up. Like, you know what you're doing going into the game and it allows you to implement appropriate management and really just do what's best all around. And it causes, I'm sure a lot less frustration for you and both of your dogs. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, you're right. It's something that I make a point of conditioning on a routine basis. So like, you know, just doing that sound, that classical conditioning of like me calling and then just literally giving them food while they're sitting in front of me. Um, and, you know, doing that on a routine basis, really sticking to that reinforcing it when it's not needed. That's what I think is the key element of keeping it fresh so that the dogs know whenever they're coming back, it's going to be something good instead of, you know, as you said, barking back at your dog and expecting them to respond. Barking's communication. You know, I'm saying to my dogs, I hear you barking, you know, yeah. it's, I'm returning your call and I'm returning it with liver paste. <laughs> I love that so much. That actually just makes me so very happy that that's kind of the way that that rolls down because sometimes you do get that, you know, nuisance barking. And there's a couple of different ways that I like to try to reduce that barking. And I think we talked about it in the first half of this episode with barking indoors with adding visual barriers. So what does that kind of look like for you at home, right? Management first, or even just management in general is going to really help to reduce triggers, therefore reduce trigger stacking, therefore allow your dog to have decompression in between triggers and also allow you to overall reduce the levels of everything that goes through your dog's brain. Well, I think, you know, as far as where the, the art is concerned, like we have fencing all around. So any kind of, you know, additional, like maybe visual stimulus, a, a lot of that is already blocked out. Now for some dogs, I think that that can be hugely beneficial because they'll kind of like hear the sound then go to look, you know, and then be able to amplify their arousal by not only hearing, but then seeing, but 
sometimes it doesn't work for dogs. So like my dogs are largely just based on the fact that they can hear another dog and that for them is, you know, the, the stimulus that causes the response. So sometimes even having really good fencing, your dog still may respond to barking because of that auditory kind of stimulus. So in that sense where I try to manage the situation, that's the best that I can do in that context where I have no control over the audio, you know, sensation that they're having. As far as visual blockers, I think there are lots of ways that we are able to manage situations like that. So even sometimes adding like some tarp, you know, you see these in like apartment complexes where they have this kind of visual barrier over maybe a balcony and that kind of tarping blocks some of that visual barrier. So maybe if your dog is responding, say, to seeing people or other dogs from your balcony, blocking that visual with something that's solid where they can't visually see that is likely to reduce the amount of barking that they'll do overall. Um, But I think using those types of visual barriers, or we talked before about window cling, so Mm -hmm. or window film, which that is very similar to that kind of tarp situation. Even something as simple as like just hanging a blanket or, you know, putting something up like an umbrella, anything that you can think of in your given environment that can visually block something that maybe your dog is using um, as a stimulus to kind of elicit barking or that kind of response. You know, there's nothing I would say, (laughs) there's nothing I would say that I wouldn't go to, to be able to manage an environment. you know, having all those tools at your disposal and whatever works, why not do it? Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good point. Just in general, if it works, do it, right? Like we don't get to decide what does and doesn't work for our dogs. So you try, try, try again until you find something that does and then stick with it, do it, enjoy it, let it happen. Um, So that's really great. I think the visual barriers are a big one for me because I don't have that option. So well, I do and I don't um, because the power wires that I was talking about earlier, um, those squirrels that are up on them, they're up above the fence line. They go all the way through the trees. Sometimes you just don't have that option and that's totally okay. Um, but when you do absolutely use it, make it work in your favor. Um, I would say that like we do have you know already Renee, but I have chickens Um, and having a lot of chickens when you have a lot of dogs. And when I say a lot of dogs, I mean, like I regularly have dogs um, that board from clients or that are training clients that come here for daycare with like puppy socialization, because I have a lot of really appropriate dogs to use monitored socialization for those animals to make sure that it works out really well. Um, So I regularly have quite a few dogs in my home. In fact, at the moment right now, as I sit here, my puppy's at my feet, Uh, I say puppy, but he's 10. Um, And there are four other dogs in the home. So One of those dogs uh, deals with a lot of reactivity, frustration, and fear-based behaviors, and he hates my chickens. Um, He does not know how to deal with chickens. He's never been exposed to them. He does not do well with them. And we found that 
managing his environment by restricting access to where the coop is was really beneficial for us. But come winter, that wasn't really an option anymore. So we were able to add a tarp around the chicken coop so that he could not see the chickens. And that allowed for a lot of reduction in that frustration behavior from him and the, the, the incessant barking that he would do at the outside of the coop and things like that. But now that it's spring and we're taking down those tarps and all of those types of things, we're having to find new and different ways to to cope and change that barking and, you know, frustration-based behaviors from him. So I've actually gotten to a point where typically if it's a day where it's really nice out and I know the chickens are going to be out and about and roaming and those sorts of things, um, I actually have a little radio that I plug into the back of the garage and I turn it on a decent volume so it's loud enough, but it just blocks out the noise that those chickens make from the house, which also helps to reduce a lot of that frustration and that incessant barking and stuff that he does. So that's been really great. But in the process of doing that and being able to kind of manage that with those types of barriers, both visual and auditory, um, I've had a little bit of trouble with my neighbors. So, and I would say this, um, <laughs> It's more so the chickens that they don't like, not the dogs, but there's a situation too where, you know, you, you have these neighbors and you have these difficulties and you have these dogs, dogs bark. It's a way of life. Like I've never, never met a dog that doesn't bark. I don't even think the Basenjis I've worked with, they bark. <laughs> it's just a different sound. So what do you kind of think about in terms of that, when you have those nosy neighbors or those neighbors that aren't really, you know, like, how do we deal with that kind of situation where we have dogs that are barking, they are making a lot of noise outside, or really they're even just playing like my guy, even at 10 years old, you get out a ball or, you know, a pool toy or something like that. He barks, 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 barks the whole time he's working the whole time he's trying to play. He just barks to get that toy in his mouth. So what do you do to kind of curb and help with those, those neighbors? Oh my goodness. You know, <laughs> this one's a tricky one because if you have neighbors that are willing to work with you, if, you know, say like I deal with clients where sometimes the neighbor is the issue, like the dog is scared or uncomfortable with the neighbor. And so if you have a neighbor who, you know, they don't even have to be that great with dogs. They could literally just, you know, you can direct them. And as long as they're good at following directions, that's all we really need in those kind of scenarios. But if you have a neighbor who wants to help you, and I, I always say to my clients, like, just ask them. So ask them, tell them the situation, you know, make it clear to them that your dog is fearful. Like your dog is not aggressive. Your dog is uncomfortable. So you have nothing to worry about, especially if you stay on your side of the fence, you have nothing to worry about as far as like the dog largely being aggressive towards you because we're going to use management, right. And we're going to have all those safety protocols in place. And we're trying to get the dog not to react. Um, so, you know, you don't have too much to worry about are you willing to help us? So if you're willing to help us, great. This makes things Oh, this makes things so much easier. Now I have had clients where they have maybe said this to their neighbor and the neighbor has either a been like, okay. And then does whatever they want to do. Um, or there B, they're like, yeah, I can help you. You just tell me what you want me to do and when, and like those, <laughs> those neighbors are the best neighbors. Um, because, <laughs> Because I can tell you, like having someone who's working with you, even when they don't have to do a lot, 
it makes it so much easier and things do go much better. Um, if you have a neighbor who's uncooperative or thinks they know better or has their own ideas about how to, you know, interact with your dog, it then becomes a really uphill battle that um, you then are using a lot of management, but you know, largely you won't be that successful. So I always say, <laughs> bring a nice bottle of wine, or if you know, like they like some good coffee and just go over, explain the situation to them. You know, if you have to tell them a little bit of a sob story, you know, my dog is very fearful. He doesn't like men or whatever the situation is and get them on your side. And you know what, try to let them know what the situation is and that you're trying to work on it. So I think sometimes that really helps, you know, and letting them know, look, you don't have to do a lot. I'll tell you exactly, you know, what you have to do. I'm working with a behavior consultant. So let them know that you're working with somebody, especially if you are working with somebody um, and, you know, they're taking the lead and, and directing both of us in what to do and let them know, you know, all of this information and hopefully they'll be responsive and they can help you through it. That's when things go really, really well. When you have a neighbor who doesn't want to participate, or maybe you don't know your neighbor well enough, or maybe your neighbor has indicated that, you know, they're, they're aggressive towards your dog or, you know, unresponsive. Then it's, like I said, it's, it's an uphill battle, but it's a lot of management. So sometimes even providing a barrier in front of a fence so that your dog can't actually get up to all, all the way up to the fence. Um, if your dog has issues with maybe the neighbor's dog, um, you know, providing some of those visual barriers or even another barrier so that the dog can't again get up to the fence and maybe sniff and have direct interactions with that dog through the fence, you know, that kind of like frustration barrier type. Um, but it, it is, it's, a, it's, it's challenging. It's unfortunate, but it's challenging when we don't have neighbors. We just do whatever we can to kind of problem solve in that, especially clients that are working with someone. And I'm sure it's the same for you, Cassie. We, we have to problem solve and go, right. Okay. So the neighbor's not helpful on to plan B. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, what are your experiences with that? I mean, do you feel that that's really similar to kind of what I've been saying or? Oh my goodness. I would say that I definitely have had very similar experiences, especially with clients, because I get lucky enough where I am. Um, I have buildings that are, you know, they were homes back in the day, but they've been turned into, you know, little apartments or triplexes or whatever the case may be. And they all back onto one side of my property. And then the back of my property is another building like that. And then the other side is just a great neighbor who I absolutely love. He is a wonderful gentleman, old newfie, loves the world, comes over and helps us out. He even plows our driveway in the winter, like wonderful, wonderful people. And his uh, grandson lives in the basement. So like they get it. Um, but I did have that issue when I had uh, new people in my place, um, a couple houses up were sold and I am that neighbor. I am that person who I'm like, just ask the neighbor, just talk to the neighbor. You need a tool here, come borrow it. You need some sugar. I'm, I'm your girl. Like that's, that's how I am. So when they moved in, uh, not really having a whole lot of an idea, I bought them a cute little card, um, that was like, you know, welcome to your new home. And it had this adorable little Boston Terrier on it. And when you open the card, there was a whole bunch of barking and it was immediate apologies. Um, because we always have tons of dogs in this house and please, please, please. If you ever have an issue or, you know, 
you hear the dogs go off or say, you know, a dog gets out of the yard or something like that, because we are fully fenced in, but sometimes, you know, there's a little hole in the fence because the wind blows it over or, you know, something like that. I kind of just said, you know, welcome to the neighborhood. Here's some cookies, have a card. I apologize in advance for my dogs. <laughs> and it was really great. They've been wonderful about everything. Um, but the people to the other side, not necessarily like those um, apartment buildings and stuff. And I think for me, the really big takeaway is be a good neighbor. You really should only have to just ask. And if those people aren't willing to help or, you know, whatever, a lot of the time they are even at the very least willing to remove themselves while it's happening or whatever the case may be. If you explain, if you chat about it, if you make that connection, a lot, a lot of people, because like you got to live beside these people until you decide to move or they do. Right. So why not make the best of it? Um, and especially with your dogs, because a neighbor's a really great way, because it's a regular thing that your dog is going to see often enough um, to create those positive associations and help to reduce some of the issues that you might see in other places too. So I think, yeah, absolutely. That whole just ask, that is such great advice. Um, and I think that hopefully it'll be beneficial to a lot of people um, because sometimes we do have that feeling that like, it's not, you know, we're afraid to ask or we don't want to be embarrassed by our dogs or things like that. And I am very much a person who I'm, I'm over embarrassment at this point. I'm like, my dog's got big feelings and I care about my dog's <laughs> big feelings. So I'm going to have that conversation. I'm going to advocate for my animal. And I think it's one of the best things you can do, especially when it comes to barking. Um, because, you know, dogs bark, man, they bark. They bark yeah. as much as they want, whenever they want. There are things we can do to manage it and reduce it and train it or whatever, but it's a big thing. So I absolutely agree. I think that that just talk to those people, be a good neighbor. Um, and if they if they don't want to help, I think my biggest thing is that, Knowing that you have neighbors that are going to be, you know, they, I think they work a nine to five or, you know, they're typically home by 3 PM or they get groceries on Sundays or things like that, or like those regular patterns that kind of come out and about a really great way to deal with that as well is if you are spending a lot of time outside with your dog and they are barking at those like external stimuli and things like that, have high value rewards with you outside. Use yeah. the, um, the, the kind of method that you described earlier of that recall, that high value reward, that's going to reduce and remove the barking, get them away from that stimuli. And then you can give them a few moments and try again, or, you know, by the time you would go to try again, that neighbor's already in the house and the, you know, the triggers passed and we're not going to get that barking anymore. So it's definitely a great way to kind of go about reducing barking, reducing frustration, overall giving your dog a better quality of life in that yard. <laughs> so in that space, you're going to create a lot of really great things and make sure that they're on board with you. And if you have a difficult time with that, so say that that stimuli is a little bit more important for your dog than that high value reward or whatever the case may be, there are other options as well. And I will always, always, always say find a certified trainer or behavior consultant to help you work through those things. Because as much as we can give a lot of very blanket statement information um, and, you know, help and kind of help you to understand why those things are happening. Um, I can't tell you exactly what you need to do with your specific dog when I don't have the information or I'm not your consultant or whatever the case may be. So I think that's really important too, is if you're having these issues, 
there's help. Don't, don't lose hope. There's always going to be help. A barking dog is just a barking dog. And you know what, if the neighbors got to deal with it, they got to deal with it for a little while, but making sure that you're actively working on it is a really big thing and making sure you're working on it with people who are going to take an appropriate approach to it as well. Um, because like I said, just barking back at your dog is not going to work. In fact, it's probably going to increase the instances of that happening. So what are a couple of the things that you would typically suggest if, if, you know, that dog has a poor reinforcement history in terms of barking or, you know, they've, they've had punishment in the past that has increased the barking or just not helped it at all. Is there anything that comes to mind for you? Yeah, I think, you know, that's something that we always have to consider, especially, you know, when we're working with clients and they tell us about previous things. I like clients to be as honest as possible with me. So like, mm -hmm. if you have punished your dog, if you have used certain tools, I need to know that so that I know exactly what I'm working with and any potential barriers that we, we might have. We talked about like what to do kind of in the backyard to prevent this stuff. But I think one of the best things that you can do is show your dog how to be in the backyard. So something that I do a lot is we do scatter feeding. So we might do that for 15, 20 minutes where I've really scattered some food and it's amazing if the food is good enough. So like recently we do, we feed origin as our dry and the dogs are raw fed, but you can't scatter raw or you shouldn't scatter raw <laughs> all, around your, um, all around your yard. One thing that I found is just adding a little bit of some kind of fat to a little bit of origin or like a big bag of origin. So this week has been rabbit kidney fat from when I cook some rabbit kidneys and having that, mixing that in the bag and then scattering that all over the yard, they went crazy. They found every single morsel. I'm pretty sure that they did not leave anything behind, but that just in that simple activity, they were so focused on finding that food and scavenging that there were dogs that were barking and they didn't pay a single mind to them. Didn't pause, didn't bark Amazing. back. They were so fixated on doing that task. So like doing those kind of maybe scatter feeding, you know, foraging, nose work activities, even really fun engagement games. So, you know, we'll play with lichen, we'll play with the flirt pole, we'll do some, you know, shepherdy kind of cue things and get him, you know, engaged and working with us and performing a task. Um, and even sometimes with Nero, you know, he likes sunbathing. So sometimes I'll go out there with him and I will literally just sit with him. And if there's a dog that barks, like you said before, I'll give him something tasty. You know, like if I can see that he's able to just sit there, absorb that and, and not respond, you know, in the sense of barking, he'll get rewarded for that. And so him settling in the garden on a mat or a bed and just enjoying being in the garden you know, I want to reward that. I want to make sure that I tell him, yes, like this is the, this is the behavior that I really like. And look how nice it is. You get to spend more time out here when we're not responding to these dogs. So it's really important to kind of show your dog what to do in the backyard and be present with them instead of just letting them out and, you know, kind of just, you know, whatever happens, happens, be present with your dog, do things with your dog, spend time with them in that space and teach them, you know, what it's like to be outside. Because I often say like, you know, if a dog is bored, they will find something to do. And if your dog doesn't have anything to do out there and something takes their attention and gives them something to do, 
of course they're gonna, you know, be looking for the squirrel or bark back at that dog. So spend that time with your dog, show them what you want them to do in that environment and really reward them when they have those successes. I love that so much. I really do. Cause it's one of those things that it's as much as we've chatted and kind of worked through what that barking in the yard and in the house and outdoors looks like. Um, I didn't even think to touch on that, which is typically one of the first things I touch on is show your dog what you would like from them instead of waiting for the unwanted behavior to happen. If you have a dog and you're like, I know he's going to bark. I know this is going to be a thing. Show him what you want him to do instead. Get him busy doing other things, being rewarded for that, because the more we reward a behavior, the more likely it is to occur in the future, right? That's the definition of positive reinforcement. So by adding that and really making sure that we're like aptly showing our dog what we want from them when, when they're in the yard and, you know, managing the opportunities because our dogs are opportunists a hundred percent, like you said, making sure that we manage the opportunity to do that barking and all of those fun things. And then we reward the thing we want that isn't that barking. So even like a differential reinforcement of an other behavior or an incapable in wow, incompatible behavior we're looking for Cassie um, is like doing those things. And I think it's really important to make sure that we do touch on that because it's one of the first things we come to is what, what do you want from your dog in this moment? And if you don't have an answer to that, that's the answer we need first, rather than wait for the barking to happen and try to fix it later, right? Implementing that management right away. So especially if you're, like you say, moving into a new home and you know, you have a dog that likes to bark at certain things, adding that management before they even get to that yard is a big thing. And then showing them what you want from them instead while they're out there. Um, especially if you have a dog that loves to sunbathe or whatever the case may be, because that's a really great thing for them to do. Like, I love when my dogs offer those behaviors and I want to reward those behaviors with, you know, either scatter feeding or those types of things. So I think you really, I, you, you got it there. And I thank you so much for bringing that up. Cause I hadn't even, I hadn't even, we weren't even talking about it. So it's a really good <laughs> I think as well, like I want my dogs to, especially if it's getting, you know, nicer, the dogs really enjoy being out in the yard and I want them to enjoy that. I mean, that's part of the reason why, if not the whole reason why I have a yard, you know, I, I keep it kind of for them to enjoy and allowing, you know, having that kind of moderation of having the recall cue and showing them what to do and, you know, setting them up for success in, in the yard with certain specific tasks, like that lets them enjoy that resource. And I don't have to be so fixated on what are they doing? Are they barking? Are they doing this? You know, the door is open, especially now that it's warmer, the door is open most of the day and the dogs can come in and out. And, you know, it's so nice, but that took a lot of work. And I think that's the thing where people think, oh, I wish my dog could do that. Your dog, most likely your dog could do that, you know, to kind of addressing those underlying behaviors. If your dog's fearful, you know, then work with somebody on, on that to help the root cause of the fear. And that might be something where your dog could eventually go out into the yard unsupervised and have a good time. And if something, you know, causes them some concern, they come running back to you as their safe place. So it is possible for dogs to have more freedom and more access to things we just need to do a little bit of the groundwork to make sure that that's something that they are able to do. And like you said, Cassie, I mean, the amount of times that, you know, I, I wish sometimes that people had contacted me sooner because even things such as like we talked about on the inside with the window film, I mean, 
you know, I've had clients where I've said to them, you know, this is a great tool. This is, you know, the type of management we need. And for whatever reason, they've kind of maybe paused at putting something up. Maybe they don't like the way it looks or they think the blind works or, you know, something like that. They, you know, there's some barrier for them putting it up and then they finally put it up. And then I get the message like, we haven't had any barking. And I'm like, <laughs> that's the biggest, I told you so. Like I'm, I'm rooting for you. Like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I do. You know, even stuff like that, that you, if you can do something simple, sometimes that has the biggest effect. Yeah, absolutely. And that is the perfect analogy of like, you've seen it a hundred times and then you have a client that goes, oh, I just did exactly what you told me to do. And now it's not a problem. And it's like, sometimes <laughs> management is all you need. Right. And I feel, I feel like too, there's sometimes this thought and feeling that a lot of dog guardians have that and I don't know where it stems from. And I think a lot of it probably stems from very old school ways of thinking and training and learning and psychology and all of those fun things. But we have this kind of thought process that like, well, my brother's dog doesn't need that. Why should my dog need it? And we try to put this like blanket expectation or unrealistic expectation on our dogs that, you know, they should be these perfect beings that we want to sit beside us on the couch or, you know, never, never on the couch, only on the floor, like those types of things. And I think that the reality of it is, is science has come so far and we know so much more about dogs than we did even 10 years ago. And it's important to keep up with that. And it's important to make sure that you have, um, you know, a behavior consultant or trainer that is doing that, that is going to be able to give you like this simple step in management is going to change your whole life. And you won't have to worry about this thing ever again, or, you know, it will reduce it so much so that we can really easily reintroduce it into your dog's you know, regular practices and you won't have a problem. And there is sometimes that barrier of like, well, other dogs don't need this, or I've been, I've had dogs my whole life. None of my other dogs have needed that, but that's kind of like saying, you know, every person learns the exact same way, no matter what. And it's just not true. So I think it's really important to touch on that too, and make sure that we're implementing appropriate management and stuff like that for those situations and scenarios. Yeah. I mean, especially if you have like multi-dog households, like I, you know, I try to preach this as much as possible is that my dogs are two individuals. So like when you get a second dog or a third dog or, you know, however many you are down the line, we tend to think of dogs as like a unit. Like I have dogs and like, they're kind of mm -hmm. lumped in together. Whereas I know that my boys are individuals. Like I know that there are some things that cross over between them, but there's a lot of things that aren't, they're two individual dogs. So, you know, while some things might work for them universally, there are other ways that I have to approach it that are slightly different based on their personality. So, you know, as far as like, when I talked about the specific recall cue, Lycan is far quicker at that. Like he comes racing back. He's usually the first one that comes back. And so when I'm practicing, I really practice a little bit more with Nero than I do with Lycan. And often like they're both there, but I might reinforce Nero two, three times in a row. Whereas I might just reinforce Nero. I mean, sorry, reinforce Lycan once. So I really put in the emphasis for Nero because I know that I want, you know, I want them coming back at the same time, or I want them, you know, I want the response to be similar, but they're different personalities. Like in is far more tuned by his person calls. Yes, I'm ready for duty. Whereas Nero's like, 
I really like barking at things, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll come in a minute, mother. <laughs> he comes, but you know, it's a little longer for him. So I think that's another thing is looking at your dogs as individuals, tailoring that, you know, how you're doing your training with those dogs to set those dogs up to succeed. But if you're just like, ah, you know, I do it and my dog isn't responding as we talked in like the food motivation one, there could be so many reasons why that isn't the case. So getting rid of those stereotypes or those preconceived notions we have in our heads about dogs is critical for all, all kind of encompassing things with dogs. But specifically when we're talking about barking and my dog doesn't bark or this dog doesn't bark or my previous dog hasn't barked or, you know, that dog's really good because that one doesn't bark and that one does all the barking you know, they're individuals, you know, let's not be too kind of heavy handed with comparing dogs in any sort of way, because each individual one is you, you know, you welcome that dog into your life for a specific reason. And there will be pluses. And, you know, there's always some, some little niggling things in every relationship, but those things with dogs, we can, we can largely work them out. So everybody's kind of happy and and compromises where it's at really. Yeah, absolutely. I agree entirely. And that's one of the things too, for me, that comes up, um, in terms of getting that communication across to is that like, we're only human. We're going to make mistakes. Like I can't tell you how many times that my dog has barked and it has startled me. And I've been like, Oh my God, what are you doing? Right? Like I jump and I startle and I yell. And then I'm like, crap, I just made him bark even more or whatever, but those things are going to happen. And that's a reality. And training and learning is not linear. And that's probably one of the biggest things and biggest takeaways for me, especially from our chat today is like one, just ask, asking can make all the difference, (laughs) whether it's with a neighbor or a loved one or a family member, or even somebody that lives in your home. Like, you know, I have, I personally have a roommate. Um, she is also a certified dog trainer. So I get really lucky there, but like one of the best things we can do is just ask if, if I need help or my dog is offering a behavior that I don't want him to behavior. And I'm like, Oh, you know what? I've noticed that actually we're inadvertently rewarding it. We just ask about it. Right. So I think those are big takeaways for me today, for sure, is making sure that we just ask implementing management in like implementing rewards ahead of time, making sure that we're showing our dog what we want them to do. And then on top of it, allowing ourselves to be human and allowing ourselves to make mistakes. Sometimes some people are going to have a dog that you're going to have to learn to just deal with barking. Like, you know, some people who go out and get, you know, German shepherds, um, (laughs) don't do it. No, just right. (laughs) No, but just don't ever expect that your German shepherd is not going to bark. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. think I have met a single German shepherd that doesn't bark at something, you know, at least a couple times a week. So if you making sure you do your research and all of that fun stuff ahead of time, but you might have a dog that you're never going to completely remove that barking, or you're never going to completely be able to train it in a different way or whatever, because it's genetic. And there are things that we can't change, but there are a lot of things that we can do to improve our overall satisfaction and learning and all of that fun stuff and start to better understand our dogs and where they're coming from. Absolutely. And you know what, I hope that people have gained both, you know, from part one, what we're talking, talking about more of kind of inside stuff, but also, you know, the outside barking, I think we have given people 
hopefully they've found lots of little gems along the way with this and things that you can start to, to implement because it's, it is true. You know, dogs bark, it's communication. We'll say it a million times. It's communication. You're not going to stop a dog ethically and morally, you know, to be able to bark because that's like asking a human to never comment about something, you know, to never have an opinion about something, to never, you know, say anything. And people are opinionated. People have ideas about things. Um, and, you know, people have their own thoughts and that's allowed. And dog's thoughts just often come out <laughs> in a series of vocalizations. Um, so, you know, you're not going to get your dog to stop barking, but can you help them feel better? Yes. Can you manage the barking? Yes. So there are ways to, hopefully people have gained that from both of these talks. There are ways to help your dog. And again, if you are really struggling or you're maybe at that stage where you've tried all the things and you're still like, I just don't know what this dog wants, you know, consult someone, get in touch with a dog professional, a qualified dog professional and get a second pair of eyes on that. And, you know, the amount of times, like I said, that things could sometimes be little tweaks and then we can work on stuff, but there is help out there for that. So thank you all yes. for joining us for this second parter. Um, and again, I hope that you have taken away something from, from barking both in and out of the house. I know I have. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Hi there, Renee here. Just a quick and gentle reminder that this podcast, along with all social media advice, does not take the place of working with a qualified ethical professional. If you are encountering behavior concerns with your dog, getting in touch with a professional sooner rather than later can save you a lot of time, energy, and money. Not only that, but it can also save both you and your dog a whole load of stress. Getting expert, qualified advice early on means you spend less time trying different things and confusing yourself. If you are looking for someone to work with, I offer virtual consultations and work with clients worldwide. You can find all of my services on my website, rplusdogs.com. After all, mental health matters for dogs too.